This is an audio sermon recorded at Highway 71 Church of Christ in Alma, Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth. We would love for you to worship with us at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1808 Highway 71 North in Alma, Arkansas. Once upon a time, a long, long time ago, the faraway land there was a great drought. Because of the great drought, um, there was a famine across the land, the kind of which that uh, we see today in third world countries where starvation is at hand. People were desperate. There was a certain widow who had come to the point of this great famine where there was nothing left except for enough food for one last meal for her and for her son. You can picture the kind of feeling you would have knowing that you're going to have one last meal for you and your child, and that's it. It's over. That's all she had. Starvation would set in, and the end result would be obvious. And then a certain visitor came to her house that day. He was hungry. And he said, please feed me. She explained to him, this is all I've got. This is the last meal I'm going to have with my child. And then we're going to die. It was that desperate. He said, still, fix something for me first. And then you and your son can have what's left. Some of you are smiling because you recognize the story and you know the rest of the story. But how do you feel, just based on what you've heard, just based on the comments that we've made this morning about the individual? What do you think about him? Let's read that whole story. Paul Harvey had a saying. It was his tagline at the end. It was, uh, now you know the rest of the story. Based on what facts we have, probably don't think a whole lot of this gentleman whose name, by the way, is Elijah. 1 Kings 17. Now, Elijah, let's, let's back up a little bit. We know that uh, King Ahab, you know, in the Old Testament, they talk about kings. They did good in the sight of God. And they did terrible. They did evil in the sight of God. Well, this guy was about as evil as it gets. And he was being punished. And so was the land of Israel for following after this evil king. King Elijah, who was from Tishka in Gilead, told, or Elijah, who was from Tishka in, in Gilead, told King Ahab, as surely as the Lord God of Israel lives, the God that I serve, there will be no dew, there will be no rain to the next few years until I give the word. Then the Lord said to Elijah, go to the east and hide by Kareth, the brook, near where it enters into the Jordan River. Drink from that brook and eat from the ravens that bring you food. I have commanded them to bring you food. Elijah did as the Lord had told him. He camped besides Kareth Brook, east of the Jordan. And the ravens did bring him food and meat each morning and evening, and he drank from the brook. But after a while, the brook dried up. There was no rainfall anywhere in the land. Then the Lord said to Elijah, Go and live in the village of Zarephath, near the city of Sidon. I've instructed a widow there to feed you. So he went to Zarephath, 
As he arrived at the gates of the village, he saw a widow who was gathering sticks, and he asked her, Would you please bring me a little water in a cup? And she was going to get it. He called out, Bring me a bite of bread, too. And she said, I swear to you, by the Lord your God, I don't have a single piece of bread in the house. I have only a handful of flour left in the jar and a little cooking oil at the bottom of the jug. I was just gathering sticks to cook this last meal. And then my son and I will die. Elijah said unto her, Do not be afraid. Go ahead and do just what you have said, but make a little bread for me first, and then use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. There will always be flour and olive oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord again sends rain and the crops grow again. And she did just as Elijah had said. She and Elijah and her family continued to eat for many days. There was always enough flour and olive oil left in the containers, just as the Lord had promised. What happens when we get bits and pieces of information? We don't have all the facts. From the story that we shared with you this morning, I didn't share all the facts, but even if you recognize the story, how did your gut instinct feel about the visitor that came? Sometimes from the outside looking in, uh, we don't know the story, we don't know all the facts of the story, uh, but we base our opinion by jumping to conclusions. Now I say we, I mean probably more me than you. Uh, this is a sin that I am guilty of, and that is our study this morning about that process of jumping to conclusions and coming to a conclusion based on inductive reasoning, uh, less than deductive reasoning. When you don't have all the facts, it's all too easy to do. And it can be extremely, extremely dangerous. Joshua, 22nd chapter. I'm going to take up with about verse 9. We'll find out how dangerous jumping to conclusions can be when the men of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh left the rest of Israel at Shiloh in the land of Canaan. They started the journey back to their own land of Gilead, the territory that belonged to them, according to the Lord's command through Moses. Remember, they had divided up the lands. These tribes had gone to take in what was given to them. These would be the eastern tribes. But while they were still in Canaan, and when they came to a place called Gileoth, I know I'm not pronouncing a lot of these correctly, Near the Jordan River, the men of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh stopped to build a large and imposing altar. Now the rest of Israel heard the people of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh had built an altar at Gileoth at the edge of the land of Canaan on the west side of the Jordan River. So the whole community of Israel gathered at Shiloh to prepare to go to war against them. First, they sent a delegation led by Phaniah, son of Elazar, the priest, to talk with the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. In this delegation were ten leaders of Israel, one from each of the ten tribes, each the head of his family within the clans of Israel. Now when they arrived in the land of Gilead, they said to the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, the whole community of the Lord demands to know, why are you betraying the God of Israel? How could you turn? of the Lord and build an altar to yourselves in rebellion against him. Was our sin impure not enough? To this day we are not fully cleansed of it. 
even after the plague that struck the entire community of the Lord. And yet today, you're turning away from following the Lord. If you rebel against the Lord today, He will be angry with all of us tomorrow. If you need the altar because the land you possess is defiled, join us in the Lord's land where the tabernacle of the Lord is situated and share our land with us, but do not rebel against the Lord of God by building an altar other than the one true altar that the Lord has commanded of us. Didn't divine anger fall on the entire community of Israel when Anak, the member of the clan of Zerah, sinned by stealing the things set apart for the Lord? He was not the only one who died because of his sin. The people of Reuben Gad, the half-tribe of Manasseh, answered the heads of the clans of Israel. The Lord, the mighty one, is God. The Lord, the mighty one, is God. He knows the truth, and now may Israel know it too. We have not built the altar in treacherous rebellion against the Lord. If we had done so, then don't spare our lives this day. If we have built an altar for ourselves to turn away from the Lord, to offer burnt offerings or grain offerings or peace offerings, May the Lord himself punish us, but the truth is we have built this altar because we fear that in the future your descendants will say to ours, what right do you have to worship the Lord God of Israel? The Lord has placed the Jordan River as a barrier between our people and your people of Reuben and Gad. You have no claim to the Lord, so your descendants may prevent our descendants from worshiping the Lord. So... We decided to build the altar not for burnt offerings, not for sacrifice, but simply as a memorial. It will remind our descendants and your descendants that we too have the right to worship the Lord at his sanctuary with our burnt offerings, our sacrifice, and peace offerings. And then your descendants will not be able to say to ours, you have no claim to the Lord. If they say that our descendants can't rely, look at this copy of the Lord's offering altar that our ancestors made. It is not for burnt offerings or sacrifice, simply a reminder of the relationship built between us and the Lord. Far be it for us to rebel against the Lord or turn away from him by building our own altar for burnt offerings or grain offerings or sacrifice. Only the altar of the Lord, our God, that stands in front of the tabernacle may be used for this purpose. Now, without reading all the rest of it, we can surmise. They almost went to war and killed uh, their brethren because they had jumped to a conclusion. They assumed something that wasn't true. And then when they found out, they were okay with it. But they based their decision to almost go to war off of partial facts. They assumed they were building the altar for a different purpose than what it really was. And we can make assumptions based off partial information. And if we're honest with ourselves, we probably do that on a daily basis. Luckily, luckily, somebody with a cool mind prevailed, and they sent a delegation to find out the truth. They dug until they got to the meat of the matter and found out their assumptions were false and that they almost went to war for nothing. What can happen when we're too quick to form an impression of a person or an event? Boy, I'm so guilty of that. <laughs> the sky is falling when something bad goes wrong. You always assume the worst. Do we have a tendency to make decisions based off of insufficient information? Are our conclusions based on fact or emotional response? 
all too often I have the problem of dealing with mine with emotional response. As I began to look at this topic and find myself falling short, uh, I noticed there's many different types of mentalities when it comes to jumping to the wrong conclusion. The first one we want to look at we'll call uh, the job interview mentality. Now, I worked for a place for over 30 years and when they shut down my department I was placed back into the workforce. Been a long time, 30 years is a long time before going to a job interview. I found out the hard way a lot of things changed. You know, job interviews aren't what they used to be. Nowadays, it's almost like a cattle call. There was a position open. There were multiple applicants. And these days, instead of usually having one person, uh, there's typically a panel of people that will talk to you in your interview. These people are instructed, uh, based off of a very short period of time, to go with your gut instinct. They pretty much have to. They're going to be cycling people through right and left. It's a cattle call. So they'll call you to uh, the interview. These several people will be on the panel asking you questions. Now, they already have a copy, and usually not a paper copy this day and age. They've scrolled through their phone or through their laptop, and they've looked at your resume. They know, they know your education level. They know uh, what job skills you have. They know what you might be certified in. They know your work history. All these things they already know, hopefully, if they paid attention. It was over 2,000 job managers surveyed and asked a lot of questions about what goes on in an interview. Part of what transpires, because they have to make up their mind very quickly in something like this. Um, they want to know more than what is on the application. They want to know far more than what is on your resume. So I ask them, what was your very first question? What's the number one first question that you asked during a job interview? Tell us about yourself. So you've got a panel, and the average job interview lasts about 30 minutes, not very long, and they're asking you to tell about yourself. Well, they don't want to hear everything that you have in your resume. They already know that. They want to know about you. They want to get to know you in a very quick first impression situation. The advice that they would give applicants, be honest and be yourself. They also ask these managers, how long did it take in this interview for you to decide you're going to hire them or not. How long do you think? It usually lasts about 30 minutes. 90 seconds. That's a minute and a half. A minute and a half. Sell yourself. That's tough. Now, if you're about to go to a job interview, don't worry about that. Just be yourself <laughs> and be honest. <laughs> but the job interview mentality, do you have that? What does that mean? First impressions are everything, right? This is a big group of friends, family, and we know and love each other very much. Do you remember back to your first impression of others here? Now, some of you are married that probably didn't have the best first impression 
and you're now with your forever love. But if you held on to that first impression, would you be married? Job interview mentality. A lot of us think that, and me included, pretty good judge of character. So when we meet someone for the first time, there's a lot of things that just kind of stick. Or maybe we heard something about somebody and it just kind of sticks. And then whenever we deal with that individual, we go back to what we very first thought in the first impressions of the individual. Everything else gets overridden. Even years of time can go by. If we have something predisposed against an individual, it's kind of hard to get rid of. 90 seconds. 90 seconds in a job interview. They've already made up their mind. It's a minute and a half. Do we do that with people? Hopefully not. Hopefully we don't make a snap decision and then base our relationship with them the rest of our lives off of what we picked up in a very short period of time. Job interview. The mind reader. And I'm guilty of this. The mind reader. Always assuming the worst has such a negative impact on our psychological well-being. Psychiatrists actually have a technical term for it. Inference, observation, confusion. And we just call it jumping to conclusions. Uh, it is such a horrible effect on our psyche and how our relationships with each other works that we can destroy families, friendships, relationships based off of always jumping to the negative, always assuming the absolute worst. John 7 and 24 says, look beneath the surface so that you may judge correctly. Now there's a verse in the Bible, whenever somebody brings it up to us, most of us have a knee-jerk reaction. It's try to, to explain what it's not. Let's explain what it's not, and then we'll get around to what it is. Judge not that you be not judged. Well, it's been so misused as a big cast net to explain away everything, any sin, any problem. Judge not that you be not judged. Our knee-jerk, my knee-jerk reaction is try to explain very quickly what that does not mean. Verses like we just read express we do have to make a judgment. But judge not that you be not judged is such a vitally important part of a Christian psyche and how we deal with each other. Look below the surface, not just on what you think real quick. Take the time. Build the evidence. Assuming someone's motives. This is the mind reader aspect of this type of thinking. Do you ever assume somebody's motives for doing something? Are you sure? Someone's supposed to call you because they wanted to do something with you that day and they don't call. Do you assume their motive? I guess I just wasn't that important. Are you sure? Are you a mind reader? I have caught myself doing that so often. And by doing that, I make some assumptions up front that may not be true. I don't look for the evidence. I don't look for the rest of the story. Someone canceled coming over on short notice. 
I assume I just didn't rate high enough, assuming their motives. Dangerous territory. Someone didn't invite you to an event, but it looks like they invited everybody else. Well, I guess I know where I stand. I'm assuming their motive. I looked on the internet and I looked up a ton of stories. I'm not going to share them with you, don't worry. Not most of them. Everybody had a story about an assumption they made, sometimes with a very close friend. And it was wrong. It almost cost them that friendship. And one lady shared a story that uh, it was very basic, something that we could relate to. Like we said, you know, a friend had told her that, we'll call her Lucy, her friend's Lucy. Lucy said she was going to call her that day because she really wanted to do something. It was a Saturday, and they hadn't got together in a long time. So they're going to go do something. She wanted to plan something with her. So she waited for Lucy to call. Lunchtime went by. No call. Started to get dark. No call. Became too late to actually go do anything. Still no call. She was furious. She had her feelings hurt, and she was mad. And those two emotions feed off each other. And she started assuming the motives. She was a mind reader. She blew me off because she had somebody else to do something with it. Probably more important. Whatever it was, it was more important than me. She could have at least called. I spent all day waiting. I could have been doing stuff. Where do I write? So she called her. Called her up and she answered the phone and she said, I'm so sorry. I saw your number. I, I forgot all about it. The hot water tank busted. We flooded the whole house. We've, we've been tearing up carpet and putting fans on stuff all day. What she said, she said, oh, I figured it was something like that. Liar, liar, pants on fire. <laughs> she assumed the absolute worst. Now, she came clean later on, and she told Lucy what she had been thinking, and they both laughed about it. She realized that jumping to conclusions is very costly. When you believe yourself to be a mind reader and you can pretty much assume what somebody's motive for doing something, that's usually not right. And we justify that. Because once in a while, we're actually turned out right where the worst thing we assume turned out to be the actual, well, yeah. See, I told you. Could have been a thousand times before that we guessed wrong. But the one time, the one time seems to justify the negative attitude. Now, that's human nature. That's not Christ-like nature. But it is certainly human nature, and it's dangerous. It can divide families and friends and marriages. Never assume anything. We're not mind readers. In the absence of information, we tend to all jump to the wrong conclusions. And when I say all, I mean me. You may not. We have a lot of positive-thinking people here. Assuming the worst in everyone is an attempt to avoid disappointment. Jumped ahead of myself. All right. College professor asked his students one day, I want you to look around the classroom and identify objects. Just Blurt them out. Tell me what they are. They started calling out objects. Um, blackboard, chairs. This is a little dated. Got a blackboard in there. 
books, all the things you would think of inside of a classroom. And the professor asks him to identify only the circular-shaped objects. He started calling out other things, fans, light bulbs, chart, pins, watch, clock. He said, why didn't you list those things first? They have responded that they weren't told to identify objects with a certain shape. The professor explained, once we are conditioned in a specific manner, we see what we want to see. We see what we want to see. If we're afraid of disappointment, we're only looking for the very worst in people and in situations. We'll tunnel vision in on the absolute worst possibility. If we look for the worst, we'll surely find it, whether it's real or whether it's imagined. I like to think of myself as fairly positive, but in reality, in making this study, I realize that uh, sometimes there's a response that we have to protect ourselves. We encapsulate ourselves to a certain degree because we don't want to be disappointed. We've been disappointed before. Been disappointed with people, and we've been disappointed with events in our lives that turned out to be horrible times in our life. There's an old saying, there's variations on that, is to expect the worst, hope for the best. You ever think about that? If you expect the worst, you've given up on hope already. But that is a very real human trait and the nature of individuals. Have you been burnt before? Have you had relationships that somebody did something wrong? Of course, we all have. And the protective nature that we have, well, we just don't like people. So I'm always going to expect the worst. If they do something, I'm going to expect it's because of the absolute worst motive. That way I'm protecting myself. Expect the worst, hope for the best. But when we always look for the worst in anyone or anything, we'll find it, whether it's real or not. If we jump to a conclusion that's always negative, uh, we're not going to give anybody a second chance. The first impression we ever had of them is going to be pinned into our head forever. And there's never another chance. Why? Because they'll just let us down. Is that the way that we see Christ living in the Scriptures? No, no, it's, it's exact opposite of that. How hard is it to expect the best in people? It's hard. It's hard. Why? Because sooner or later you're going to be let down. That's okay. That's okay. You're going to let somebody else down too. Ephesians 4 and 2. I'm going to leave you with this, this thought. I'm going to leave myself with this thought. Because I have lived my life in such a way at times that I tried to protect myself. I've, I've had that mental attitude where I didn't want to build expectations up too high. So I was just going to be let down. But I've jumped to conclusions. I've looked at what little evidence I had. I came to a conclusion based off partial information. And it was wrong. You know, I can always say I'm sorry. If I assume the worst... I protect myself, right? No. 
You set yourself up for a life of misery. Ephesians 4 and 2, always be humble, gentle, be patient with each other, making allowances for each other's faults because of what? Your love. We want happiness. We want to find true joy in life. We can't always assume the worst. The sky is not always falling. It may seem like at times that, you know, here we go again in another situation in life where things are going to be terrible. We got a call the other day that uh, our beautiful new little granddaughter was headed to the emergency room. Back in my mind, you know, what am I thinking? The absolute best? No, it's, it's probably nothing. That's what I said. What did I think? Oh, man, please, don't let it be something terrible. Well, it's natural. That's instinct. The job interview mentality that we have, basing how we feel about each other on very quick assumptions and then holding on to those assumptions forever. It's almost like when, when you're starting to date, some of you teenage boys in particular, you're going to find out all about the job interview. When you go to meet the parents for the very first time, especially the dad, now, if you didn't grow up around that family, you're going to get the job interview. They want to know about you. They want to know your motives. Why do you want to date my daughter? Look at a dad here that's got a whole bunch of daughters. You come to his house for the first time. <laughs> that's, that's a different scenario. But when we treat each other that way in our day-to-day -day life, ask a few simple questions and that's, we've got you pegged. We're a good judge of character. We got you figured out the rest of your life. How terrible. We don't like being treated that way. And we certainly don't need to treat others that way. So let's all do our very best not to jump to conclusions. Base what we do and our motives and our actions off of love and patience and forgiveness. And we won't jump to conclusions and we won't feel like we have to protect ourselves the rest of our life from disappointment by expecting the very worst in people. It's okay to expect the very best. That's what God expects of us. Thank you for your time. Let's have the invitation song. We hope you have enjoyed this message recorded at Highway 71 Church of Christ. If you have questions concerning this message or would like to set up a study, please call 479-647-2658. May God bless you.